The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by High Echelon. You can find them at highechelloncpa.com. High Echelon PC is a nationwide CPA firm in Atlanta focused on a great client experience. High Echelon provides top quality work with total transparency, so clients always know exactly what they're getting. They believe accounting doesn't need to be complicated and that clients should always get the experience they deserve, which includes top-notch accounting, tax and payroll services, timely communication, complete data flow, and the best automation and security. Book a call or drop them a line at their website, highecheloncpa.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Elemental Altitude Training Center. You can find them at elementalaltitude.com. Elemental Altitude is Atlanta's best and only altitude training facility. At Elemental Altitude's state-of-the-art indoor training center, they are capable of simulating elevation up to 24,000 feet. Training in the thinner air and lack of oxygen prompts an increase in red blood cells, meaning that more oxygen can be delivered to your working muscles on race day. Athletes undertaking all sorts of goals from rugged mountain climbs to flat sea level marathons to Ironman triathlons train in the hypoxic environment created at Elemental Altitude. I trained there several times myself ahead of my successful race at the London Marathon in 2022. In addition, Elemental Altitude hosts a variety of physiological testing such as sweat testing, blood lactate testing, VO2 max testing, and a variety of metabolic testing which can tell you your resting metabolic rate and the types and amounts of fuel you're burning at different training and racing intensities. Drop them a line at info at elementalaltitude.com if you have questions or you want to set up an appointment. Again, their website is elementalaltitude.com. The Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is also brought to you by Blue Pineapple Travel. You can find them at bluepineappletravel.com. Blue Pineapple Travel is an agency of experienced travel advisors who help you design the perfect trip. Blue Pineapple Travel advisors are all well-traveled and knowledgeable, and they will be your advocates from start to finish. They love to help people plan their travel, whether it's for a race, a family trip, a weekend getaway, or the trip of a lifetime. Their goal is to match you with the trip that you want. Relaxation or adventure, traveling solo or with a group inside the U.S. or abroad, Blue Pineapple Travel can plan exactly the trip that you want. Find them online at bluepineappletravel.com and see some of the great places that folks who have worked with Blue Pineapple Travel go on their Instagram, at Blue Pineapple Travel. Finally, the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast is brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance. You can find them at itlcoaching.com. ITL Coaching and Performance's mission is to build a community of athletes set on reaching goals and serving the community. They have a passion for helping people achieve their goals and dreams. ITL coaches are real people with phones, emails, and the desire to spend time with you during your training. They are vested in ITL athletes. ITL takes a communal approach to coaching, so there's always someone available to answer questions and to help adjust the training schedule. An ITL coach will be glad to meet with you to chat about your goals and to find the best plan to help you meet those goals. Again, their website is itlcoaching.com. Thanks to all of our sponsors who help us bring you the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. Brought to you by ITO Coaching Performance, Blue Pineapple Travel, and Slay RX. My name is George Darden. I'm an endurance athlete and coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. I'm a college professor and I'm the father of twin boys. This week we have for you a podcast that involves my co host Michelle and I going to our newest sponsor, Elemental Altitude. 
they have a training facility here in the metro Atlanta area uh, where you can go into a room and train at a high altitude, up to 15,000 feet. You're going to hear uh, Chuck, the owner of the place, describe to us here in just a few minutes. But there's actually more to elemental altitude than just training at a high altitude. And so we went over there and uh, looked at all the various offerings that Chuck had. And we actually, in addition to doing a high altitude workout, uh, Michelle and I uh, took a resting metabolic rate test, an RMR test. Now, you're going to hear me and I think Michelle too refer to it at least one occasion as a BMR test, as a base of metabolic rate test. That's not quite. It was an RMR test. Um, but, uh, but that's how we're going to kind of start the podcast here in just a few minutes. Um, I'll pop in um, with a few other guideposts along the way here, um, but uh, we just kind of went over to Elemental Altitude, took some tests, talked to Chuck about what it is he does, did a workout, and recorded the whole thing. Enjoy. All right, we are here at Elemental Altitude. I'm with Michelle, and she's getting ready to take a basal metabolic rate test, and she's answered some, some basic questions about her height and weight and activity levels and that sort of thing. And she's about to not be able to talk. So Michelle, do you have anything to say? Oh, that's much better. <laughs> I just took the nose clip off, so I'm not going to be able to talk or breathe through my nose, but we'll see what happens. Yeah. All right. And, uh, and Chuck, tell us what you're doing. So basically this test is going to give someone uh, how many calories they need to consume per day just for basic functions. Mm -hmm. Just to be alive, basically. Brain activity, uh, sleeping, um, just general general things like that. So it, each of us has, has a different resting metabolic rate te uh, uh, level. And so th this test actually will give Michelle what her calories per day requirement is. Gotcha. Just to sustain life. Just to sustain life. And, and we should also mention here that Michelle has not eaten anything for the past five hours, yeah. which has been quite a struggle. <laughs> yeah. Well, I haven't eaten since last night, but we knew that coming into this, we had to be fully fasted for at least five hours, which for normal people would be just wake up and come on over to elemental altitude. But unfortunately, I've been up for about five hours, so I'm pretty hungry. All right. So, yeah, and, and no working out and no eating for at least five hours. Okay. All right. Let's get it done so Michelle can have a snack. You can recline if you want to, or you can sit straight up. It's up to you. How long am I doing this for? The minimum is, uh, well, the maximum is 20 minutes. Okay. I'm not, let's go minimum. Well, I can't say a minimum. The machine will actually cut off when it's done. Okay. But the max will go is 20 minutes. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. We have reached the end of Michelle's resting metabolic rate test. Uh, congratulations, Michelle. How'd it go? That's actually harder than running <laughs> in, in many ways. So, so we did the resting metabolic rate test and then we're going to do a workout and you think that was harder than what the workout at 10,000 feet of altitude is going to be? I think it's just different. I know that when he said it's minimum 10 minutes, maximum 20 from the minute the clock hit 10 minutes, I was hoping every second that it was just going to auto cut off, yeah, uh, okay. but it didn't. Sometimes it takes longer for the machine to... I could see that yeah, would be difficult, yeah. for sure. You can't um, breathe. <laughs> I mean, you're breathing, but you're... Yeah. You did. You had a plug on your nose, and you had a tube in your mouth, and you had to breathe all through the tube, right? Yeah, that's all right. right. Yeah. Cool. What's the result, Chuck? So what was your... Uh, so... What was your, rest, what was your basal metabolic rate that 
you use all but if you go to like calculator dot if you go to one of these online calculators it says it's between like 1650 and 1690 calories mm-hmm. which is like i'm starving if i cut off at 1600 calories a day even if i'm not doing anything so i was hoping it was a little bit higher yours so is, i'm really happy to see it's a little bit higher yours is actually 1891 so i would just say 1900 calories a day and is that is there like an average range for this or is it just so person specific it's person yeah. And it's also based on your activity levels, too. Yeah. Because the the calculator online may not be calculating your sure. your activity levels, which really what they want anymore. But um, the way you would interpret this is 1891 is, like it says, just perform basic functions, such as breathing, keeping up brain activity. So that's the minimum amount of energy you need each day before you start to factor in workouts. Right. Now, your professional activity, since it's, you said it's sedentary? I do sit at a desk all day. Okay. So it's, it's going to calculate that as around 378 calories burned. You're not really moving around too much. If you were, you know, worked in an auto mechanic shop or something like that, you'd probably double that, you know, a lot more. And then your average workout exercise, if it's moderate and it's around an hour a day, you know, we're looking at. 400. It, it could be more than that, less than that, depending on the workout. So to maintain weight, you would just add in what you what you burned to that number. You know, so like for example, if you want to stay at 151 pounds, if these were what you were burning each day, you would just add that to the number, which would make it around 2,270 calories you'd be consuming. If you want to lose weight though, you have to decide based on that burn, how much can I live with? in terms of a caloric deficit per day. Right. Right? If you are burning 405 calories in a workout and you're burning 378 in your professional activity, then if you just stuck at 1,900 calories for that day, then there's your deficit right there. But, you know, close to 800 calorie deficit might be too much because your body is either going to accept that and you're going to be satiated with what you're eating or you're going to go a couple of weeks and your body's going to get into a fight or flight mode and it's going to say, I need food. It's going to and then you fall off the rails. Yeah. yeah. And then you, then you go off the rails and you start eating everything inside. Right. So, or, or your body goes into starvation mode and it starts packing on. Holds on to weight. Yeah. Yeah. I've had, you know, I'll give you an example. I had a guy come in here who was about 260 pounds. He had just gotten into, you know, getting back at exercising and, and, and things like that. So put him on the machine and his basal metabolic rate was about 2,500 calories a day, right? And he told me that he was not losing weight, and he was eating about 1,500 calories a day. Mm. And I told him, well, that's, your, that's the reason why. Yeah. It's because your body's hanging on to it. Right. Right? And he said his trainer told him the same thing. <laughs> yeah. But he needed to hear it from somebody else. <laughs> and so to get to, to get the point across, which is you need to eat more. Right. You know, so... Um, you just have to decide what's what's a caloric deficit because after you know there there is only one way to lose weight and that is caloric deficit. I don't right. care what diet you choose out there; it's all based on that. But it's determining what your body can handle. Maybe three hundred calories at a deficit would be better for you. Yeah, and more manageable. You're going to lose weight slow, okay? But that's the per- that's the way you're supposed to do. Yeah. You know, the average is about one pound, one and a half pounds a week. You're only talking about four or five pounds a month, really. 
that's how you keep it off. I haven't been able to lose five pounds in a month in like a year and a half. Right. Right. I mean, I like I would love to lose right. five pounds. Yeah. I've been trying to lose five pounds since January two thousand twenty-two. So again, it's it's determine what your body can handle in a deficit and poor deficit. All right, my turn. Your turn. Okay, Chuck. Yes. Tell us how you got interested in all of the science behind altitude training. What led to the birth of elemental altitude? And you can um, tell us your background as far as you want to go back. We have all this time because George has got 20 minutes of metabolic testing and he can't talk. So tell us a little bit about, you know, what led you to be able to do this for us and help people train at altitude at sea level. So. I was aware of altitude training. I knew about it, but I knew it was more of a uh, where you lived, um, you know, living high, training low kind of concept. Um, mostly done with, you know, Olympic or professional athletes. But um, on a trip over to the UK in 2017, we were over in a coaching conference in Manchester and um, we were in a breakout session in one of the rooms where they do lab testing and standing in that room I just happened to look over on the wall and I noticed that there was this panel with this company called Hypoxico listed on it <laughs> and um, started looking at it and realized that it, the room itself they could simulate altitude inside of this, in this particular room. And so then I started uh, doing some Google searching and we found a, a studio in London called the Altitude Center. And, and they were using this equip this type of equipment and they were, it was actually uh, indoor, simulated indoor altitude training center. So then we started looking at where they need these in the US. And we located one uh, facility in uh, Portland, Oregon. Uh, um, a workout facility called Evolution, and they they actually have an altitude room that's there as, as well, and, and Hypoxico was their provider. Um, and so reaching out to them, I uh, got in contact with Dylan Bowman, who you guys oh, know sure. was the... Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Dylan was the uh, one of their um, sales reps at the time. Uh, he no longer works with them now, but... Um, so got contact, uh, connected with him, and he gave us the full rundown of how it works and everything and the science behind it, how they set up um, these types of facilities and, and equipment, things like that. And um, took the idea to uh, two other friends of mine, uh, Susie and Patrick Lane, who are, who are also my partners in this. And um, they were excited about it too and we, talked to Matt here at the store and, and he had this space that was available back here where he used to do bike fitting and he was going to move his bike fitting up to the front of the store. And so, uh, this was, this space back here was open. And so we subleased this space with him and went in and built out the studio. Um, through Dylan, we were able to get the entire system, um, a little bit less expensive than uh, a new system would be because this particular, uh, altitude, system was in a studio in Australia. Oh, wow. And it was only a year old. <laughs> and so they had, they had uh, 
taken it out and they had it. And so we, we bought that one. Not something you find on eBay. No, no. <laughs> Actually, their Hypoxico is based out of New York. That's where their home base is. Uh, but they also do the um, Olympic training centers in Colorado. Um, their equipment's there. They work with a lot of professional sports teams as well for these types of uh, setups in their facilities. And in some cases, people that have, have money actually put them in their own homes. Sure. And use them. So, um, but yeah, so we, we were able to get the system um, and do the build out here and uh, get it all installed and everything. And, uh, and that's kind of a quick and dirty how, how it all, all came about. Yeah, and for those of you listening, we are um, actually in the back of all three sports. Elemental Altitude is literally connected to all three sports out here in Roswell, Georgia. So so once you got everything set up and going, um, who was the test case? Who were your first clients? And well, <laughs> the funny thing about it was... Were you your first test case? In, well, in, in my mind, I, I thought that, you know, we opened something like this we're going to have a waiting list to get in. Okay. We're going to have people beating the door down. Right. To come in here because you know, this is nobody, nobody has this nowhere in the Southeast, anywhere around the closest to us. You know, there's, there's just not these things around anywhere. So I thought, you know, it was going to be like that. And it was absolutely not like that at all. Wow. <laughs> Do you I think was that actually, was a marketing problem or just probably? Yeah. yeah. Cause you know, when you start out, we didn't have the capital for, sure. for that. Oh, I know that. <laughs> and so it's really using social media, um, word of mouth, um, calling people up and saying, hey, bring your friends and come up here and I'll, I'll let you come in for free and try it out, you know, kind of thing. Sure. Uh, so that's really how it started was um, just, you know, begging people to come up and try it. Um, altitude is not something you're really going to find a lot of, you know, in the south, in the southeast. Um not too many people knew about it, knew the science behind it, you know, what it's for. And what like year is this? 2019. Okay. So pretty recently, really. May of 2019. Okay. So year one was pretty slow. <laughs> um, we were, we were, after three or four months, we were, we were making enough to pay my, you know, pay the rent to Matt, but. It's good. Um, <laughs> but a lot of the, a lot of the expenses were still coming out of pocket. Sure. 2020 came around and we had to deal with COVID. Oh man. <laughs> um, but, uh, the, the cool thing was, is we had a handful of clients who really enjoyed coming up here working out and they wanted to continue doing it. And, um, from a safety standpoint, you know, our studio was probably one of the safest places to come to work out because of how the system works with our air compressor and our filter system. The, um, the air that gets brought in actually gets heated up to very high temperatures and it gets sterilized before it gets pumped into the room. That's so interesting. So, and, um, our room is only sized for a maximum of people too. So it's not like a big box gym where you got right. <laughs> you know, 200 people in there. We can only accommodate yeah. about six. Right. Max. I was going to say we're not on YouTube or anything, but there's not room for 200 people in no, here. So, <laughs> no. um, with an altitude system, you have to be careful with, um, oxygen intake and CO2 exhale. And if you have six people in the room doing very high intensity workouts, a lot of the, a lot of the oxygen is getting sucked up. Yeah. And so the levels can get dangerous, you know, with too many people. in there. So, Oh my gosh. 
Okay, we're going to pause the conversation because unlike me, George's uh, BMR test cut off right after the minimum threshold of 10 minutes. So we'll be back and talk a little bit more to Chuck about uh, who trains here and, you know, lots more fun stuff here at Elemental Altitude. All right, so as you heard there, my RMR test only took about 10 minutes, slightly over the minimum threshold, which is something that I plan to brag about on every opportunity that I find. I uh, found out that in my daily life, just going about living and working and being, um, I burn roughly 1,982 calories a day. Now, how am I going to use that in my life? Well, we're going to talk about that in some future podcasts, and Chuck will actually talk about that with Michelle here in just a minute. But we wanted to hear a little bit more before we did our actual workout here about the different tests that Chuck does offer in addition to that RMR test that both Michelle and I took there at Elemental Altitude before doing our workout. So we asked Chuck about that and about the different people who come in and the different people that would find utility in the facility. Let's hear what he had to say. All right, so Chuck, we have now both done resting metabolic rate tests, mm -hmm. and which is good information to have for sure. Tell us some of the other tests that you have here. Sort of take us on a testing tour. All right. And we're not doing any more of them because that was not much fun. <laughs> <laughs> At least not today. So sticking with the, uh, we'll start with the machine here that we're using this for resting metabolic rate test. This is a, this is called a core, uh, this is a core medical cardio coach mm -hmm. machine made by a company in Utah. Core medical is based out of Utah. Now, this machine does the resting metabolic rate test, which you guys just did, but it also does VO2 max testing. So those two tests are the, are the two tests that this, this uh, machine provides. Um, the VO2, depending on which machine you buy, they have four different models. Um, we got the CardioCoach Max, and the reason why we got the Max was because the VO2 test will provide you with that VO2. It'll, it'll provide you with uh, your aerobic threshold, your anaerobic threshold, um, max heart rate, and it'll give you zones, depending on how you want to lay them out. If you want to base your zones on anaerobic threshold, it'll do that. If you want to base it on VO2, it'll do that. Or if you want to do it like max heart rate, you can, you can base it on. So you can choose how you want those zones laid out. The, the next level, the, the plus and the max uh, models will also show you uh, calories burned at different heart rates. Okay. So the second level machine did that, but the reason why we, we got this one was because the max will actually break down those calories between fat and carbohydrate oxidation. So when you do a VO2 test, it's a step test, right? Um, similar to a stress test that you would have, you know, a doctor. You mean so, so you turn up the you turn up the stress of it as you go along? As you go along, you start off very low. You, we, the standard test we do on a treadmill is we start at two miles an hour. And then we increase the speed by uh, 0.5 miles per hour every minute. Okay. And then the person that's being tested has to decide when they're done. Right. They stop. Um, after we get to a certain speed, we'll start increasing the incline on the treadmill as well, just to kind of push it along, get it, make it a little bit Just harder. to be more sadistic, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, the results of that test will, will show you um, how you oxidize fat and carbohydrates when that when that crossover point happens, 
at what heart rate. So, for example, you know, you may you may work up to 120, 130 beats a minute, and you're primarily burning fat and less carb. But as you go to 140, 150, mm-hmm. it starts to shift, and carb starts to take over, which is naturally going to happen as the effort gets harder, right? Right. But as endurance athletes, you want to you want that fat carb, that fat oxidation to happen, you know, a longer time period before carb takes over. Right. Right. If your body's tapping into it's glycolic system early in the process, then that means that your body is used to tapping into carbohydrates way more than as fat. And you, you know, if you want to do longer endurance athlete, uh, endurance type of events, you need to work on shifting. So that's the two tests that we provide. We provide with Cardio Coach. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, we also do sweat testing. Mm-hmm. All right. We measure sodium concentration in the sweat. We use a sweat uh, device that actually measures the milligrams per liter mm-hmm. in a sample. And the way that works is you come in, you can get on the bike, you can get on the treadmill, you run until you, you sweat enough sample. We use a tagaderm patch that goes on the forearms mm-hmm. with a gauze that's attached to it. That's where we collect the sweat. We that's extract like, it. Similar to the sweat test I did last year. Yeah. And then um, we can provide sodium content in your sweat. And then we ask that, you know, as you know, the next steps they want to do when they leave here is to do a sweat rate test, which they can do that at home to determine how many uh, liters they lose per hour. And then they can combine the two together. But we, we do a follow-up consultation with them, kind of go over their, their individual hydration needs and, and what we recommend. So we do sweat testing. Um, and then we also use... A software called Inside, spelled I-N-S-C-Y-D. It's a software that was designed by uh, Sebastian Weber, who's a German uh, exercise physiologist who works with a lot of the... Uh, um, he, he did work in the triathlon uh, world for a while, and now he works with a lot of the cycling teams, the professional cycling teams. That software uh, tests both bike and run, uh, it can be done remotely, or it can be done for cycling. It can be done in my studio here too, or it can be done at home. But um, that one provides a lot of metrics, uh, and it's non-invasive. Okay, but um, I have found when comparing it to the test that I get off Cardio Coach, it's very close. Uh, it's within one to two points on that sort of thing. So. Uh, but the inside test is going to provide a VO2 max. And, and again, it's it's either if you're going to do a cycling test, it's called a power performance decoder test um, for cycling or running. If you're going to get a VO2 max, you're going to get a anaerobic threshold. You're going to get um, what's called a fat max. And that is basically at what pace or at what power do you burn the yes. highest amount of fat. Okay. Okay. So it's going to tell you that number, or that speed. Uh, it also does a carb max, which they use the um, measurement of 90 grams per hour, which is what your body's supposed to be able to absorb. So we can tell you at this power on the bike or at this pace on the run, this is when your body's burning 90. Okay. Um, it also gives an available glycogen storage for the athlete. So that's based off a height weight and body fat percentage calculation that we put in to tell you when you're topped off for an event, 
this is how much glycogen, this is how many grams of carbs you have at your disposal right now, okay, to use. And then, depending on how fast you go, this is how much you're going to burn per hour. And so it kind of helps with dialing in fueling strategies right. for athletes to make sure that, you know, you may have a number in your head that you're going to run or you're going to ride at, but we can tell you whether or not you can fuel that or not over this many hours. Yeah, I would say I'm always so concerned about fueling over long runs, but after <clears throat> looking at my numbers with that test last week, Chuck was like, well, you can just go run for three hours fasted basically and your body has enough storage and you'll be fine and in my mind it's like really three hours that's so cool <laughs> i'm like so nervous about it but as long as you run at that pace yeah right exactly. <laughs> as long as i stay in that range yeah so. yeah but um that's the great thing about it is is that we can we can really get granular on that that information for athletes to, to, to especially when you get into long course uh, racing running or, or, or triathlon or, or, or cycling um, it really comes into uh, comes into play more there because you know on an Ironman bike 112 miles you may in your head think I'm going to ride 220 watts but your body may you, you know your, your numbers may say you can't fuel that right because you're going to run into a deficit and about three or four hours into that mm -hmm. you're not going to be able to run right the uh, the software also gives training zones as well uh, you can kind of uh, lay out your you can plug those into whatever software you use, um, and this this uh, information is available to you know athletes that come in and do the testing. It's available to coaches that work with athletes. They can send their athletes here. We can we can provide the uh, the results of all these tests back to them so that they can they can use it as well. On that note, and this is where I was going to go before George luckily finished his BMR tests right at that ten minute mark. Uh, who comes here? Like, who will we find here? Is it um, just endurance athletes? Do you have high altitude climbers? Like, who's yeah. the clientele so, who can benefit from your services? Yeah. So, um, aside from the testing, the altitude side. Sure. Okay. We basically do three types of altitude training here. The first is with your endurance athletes or any athletes, runners, cyclists. Um, I had tennis players, I've had boxers, I've had oh, wow. you know, all different types of athletes. Um, people that do Spartan racing, um, they, you know, uh, adventure uh, racers and stuff like that. Um, we train those athletes. Uh, we, we keep the room at 10,000 feet elevation. We found that 10,000 is pretty much the sweet spot where it's difficult for athletes to do it when they're coming in the first time, but they can still they can still do a workout. Okay, it's going to be harder. Heart rate's going to be higher. But if we try to do it at 11, 12, 13,000 feet, um, it's, you're not going to have any energy to really do anything. So the higher you go up, the harder it is to do anything. So we use 10, and we train endurance athletes at that level. So that's one type of altitude training we do. Um, the other type of client we have are uh, mountain climbers. And um, there's a lot of mountain climbers in Atlanta, apparently. There's a lot of money in Atlanta. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so over the last couple of years, we've gotten a lot of mountain climbers. Uh, and we do a couple of different types of uh, training for them. Uh, we can use the same amount, the same type of training if they want to do some kind of cardio work to kind of get fit. We can use that. But we use a, a training called uh, intermittent hypoxic training or intermittent hypoxic exposure. And what that IHT or IHE is is um, 
the room the room can only go up to a certain level. It can go up to fifteen thousand feet in the room in the room the whole room itself, right? We can't go any higher than that. Um, a lot of these folks are going to be going up to twenty three. Yeah, I was going to say it's not even base camp. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, we've we've had two Everest guys through here, which is twenty nine thousand feet. Um, so. We have a separate machine in the mechanical room that's connected to um, a place next to the treadmill in here, which we hook up a mask on. And that mask um, is used for going up to as high as 24,000 feet. So those folks will actually get on the treadmill, put the mask on. Um, they can use incline on it, and they can simulate the type of hiking they'll be doing at very high altitudes, which is very slow, um, and they can get their bodies used to going up much higher. And at the same time, while we do that, we, we closely monitor their pulse ox and their heart rates to make sure that everything's safe while they're doing it. But yeah, so that's the, that's in the studio we do that. Um, I, intermittent hypoxic exposure can be used for high altitude clients um, as well, but it can also be used for athletes. We can we actually can do that here in the hallway because uh, we have the same machine connected on the wall here outside the studio. And the way that protocol works is um, you just sit in a chair. You can sit in the same seat you sat in for your RMR. You don't exercise, right? You don't move. And you put the mask on. You breathe high altitude air um, for five minutes. Take the mask off for five minutes. Breathe normal Atlanta. They recover. Okay, you do bouts of five minutes on, five minutes off, five minutes on, you know, for an hour. And that helps a lot with recovery from training. Um, for people who are short on time, who maybe maybe they're going somewhere in three weeks, like to go skiing, or they're going to um, go to Kilimanjaro, and they don't have a lot of time, we can utilize that protocol because it's not uh, hard on the body, right? But it helps increase lung capacity and it increases your tolerance to high altitude before you get there. So we can we can do several of those sessions a week in a, in a shorter amount of time. You know, I've had athletes who are going through tapering for a marathon for like the two week period come in here and do that. Oh wow! Like three or four times. That's a good idea. Yeah. So intermittent hypoxic exposure is great for that. So. Yeah, I've seen people out here in the hall wearing the mask doing that when I've been here before. So yeah. yeah. Who goes to Kilimanjaro last minute? <laughs> like, <laughs> Interesting fact. I think I don't they just get a spot on an expedition, or you wouldn't think this, but Kilimanjaro is the the mountain that has the highest um, uh, uh, high altitude pulmonary edema and cerebral edema cases. Does that have mountain. to do with the number of people that attempt it to go no, up? It has to do with how fast they go up. Right. Ah, okay. Because you live, you go from two thousand yeah. feet up to nineteen thousand three hundred sure. feet in about seven to eight days. So that's why they have the high. That's why they actually have a higher rate than Everest and K two and all those places. Because out there, you're actually there for for almost a month. It's slow going. It's slow going. Yeah. So the slower you can go. Better. I will. I will happily say that every Kilimanjaro client that we've had, we've had, you know, dozens if not up to twenty already that have come through here. They've all been successful with climbing. That's you know? awesome. Because what we're trying to do basically is we're trying to get them a head, a head start on that sure. 
altitude acclimation before they get there because they're going to go through that 2000 to 19 process over the seven or eight days they're there. But if we can get them some exposure and some tolerance before they get there, it just makes it easier. And if you're in the last two weeks of a marathon taper, what would be the benefit of just coming in for the exposure in the hallway? Um, Giving your body, you know, during that time period, you're, you're really... Trying to trying get your to, body to recover yeah. from all the load that you put under, you know, and that's not more stress, or no, no, because you're not really moving, right? Right. Um, sitting still and just breathing the high altitude air um, is giving your body, like I say, it's 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 working the lung capacity, which is great, um, and it's helping recover faster because one thing altitude does, the more you're exposed to it, is it uh, increases red blood cell production in the body. What do you think that differential is on, on race day? Like if Nike says our shoes will make you 4% faster. Do you have any idea? <laughs> I really that? don't know. No. I mean, uh, the last guy that used IAG before his marathon, he PR'd. Yeah. And he said That's a good great. case study. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I PR'd after I had three sessions at Element Clouds too, so yeah, there you go. Last call. <laughs> I don't know if it did it or not, but, you know, who's, who's to say, you know. Cool. Well, let's... Uh, Let's do a workout. All right. All right. And with that, Michelle and I were ready to begin our workout. We went into the 10,000 foot room. Uh, We basically just walked through the sealed door there into the room where the machines had been uh, thinning out the air to make it comparable to the air that we would find at 10,000 feet. You've probably heard all the machines humming in the background here as much as I try to reduce the background noise. Um, It's a place where there's a lot of technology humming. (laughs) But anyway, so we go in, uh, we get on treadmills side by side, uh, we do a warm up, and then the workout was three by 10 minutes with five minutes rest. Uh, Michelle did all 10 of her minutes of each repeat uh, at a tempo pace, basically. Uh, She was advised by her coach to do it about 30 seconds slower than 10K pace, uh, but that, of course, didn't take into account the altitude, so she had to back it back even further from what it would be if she was doing it at the 1,100 feet, which is the standard altitude in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, me, I wanted to do something similar since she and I were, were there together, and so I did 3 by 10 minutes as well, but I made the first minute of each repeat kind of hard, and then I did four tempo minutes and then the sixth minute of each repeat hard, and then four more tempo minutes. And so I did the same basic thing, but added a couple of punches into it. Um, I'm a big fan of mixing multiple paces into workouts, as you've heard me discuss before on this podcast, um, and as anybody who's ever been coached by me can certainly attest to. Um, So uh, we did the workout, we took a pause partway through, Um, and you'll hear that audio first here in just a second, Um, just about a minute where during one of the rest intervals we checked in with one another, Um, and then we'll hear the wrap-up of the workout and the final words that Chuck has to say about training at altitude. Hi, Michelle. We're uh, two-thirds of the way through our 3 by 10 minute workout. How's it going? Going to talk to Candice about this workout later. (laughs) Uh, Pretty good. I feel this kind of shift about 80% of the way through the workout and I'm not exactly sure what it is but I'm very sure it has something to do with 10,000 feet. Was so, the uh, was the second one better than the first one? It was better than the first one. I dialed it back about the prescribed pace was 30 minutes slower than 10k so I've added about 20 to 
Chuck has that look as if to say, oh, I've heard these sort of sentiments at the two-thirds point of a workout before. All right, here we go. Here we go. All right, so the workout is done. The doors are open. We are breathing the thick, lovely Atlanta air. <laughs> Michelle, how'd it go? How'd it wrap up? Yeah, it was pretty good. I was able to just kind of continually pick up the pace the last two minutes of the last 10 minute piece, so. But, you know, happy to be done. For sure. <laughs> Every workout is best when it's over. <laughs> um, so Chuck, tell us this, so, so, I mean, I ran, we ran three by 10 minutes. Mm -hmm. um, uh, Michelle ran them all at kind of a tempo pace. I ran them uh, at mostly a tempo pace, but I inserted a couple of faster pieces in there. Um, and just tell me, how does the altitude, like, how does it make it feel different? Or how should it make it feel different? Um, well, due to the fact that you're, you're breathing less oxygen molecules in the air, you're going from essentially 20% oxygen down to 14% oxygen. Right. Um, that's going to cause uh, things to be much, much more difficult. It actually increases the load of the workout on the workout. Mm -hmm. Just by just simply by that the fact that you have less oxygen. So so running it running at the same pace, running at say six minutes per mile or eight minutes per mile or something like that, is simply going to feel harder. Much harder, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Especially if it's your you know if you don't do it regularly. Um, if you were doing that on a regular basis, a couple times a week, leading into an event, um, that outdoor pace that you normally can run, um, start to work up, work towards that at 10,000 feet, mm -hmm. training it here. Uh, and when you start off, obviously you're not running at that pace, you know, we're, we're knocking it down uh, just at the beginning, but we're, we're trying to gradually work back up to be able to hold that pace. Mm -hmm. yeah. Right on, right on. So. And so <clears throat> when, when people come in here, because so we did something fairly difficult. Mm -hmm. um, do you need to do something difficult that's forcing you to breathe hard in order to be able to get the most out of the experience? Or could we have come in here and just jog for an hour? <laughs> You'll get more out of because, it. Because if it's the latter, then maybe that's what we're gonna do next time. <laughs> You'll actually get more out of it um, pushing the effort. Okay. Yeah. So working at altitude um, marries well with uh, any workouts where you have to do intensity, like in your in your training program, mm -hmm. if you do a couple, if you do some days of intensity, doing those in here would actually benefit. Um, just coming in and, and running aerobically, sure, there's something to that, but it would take much longer to get something out of that. Which, if you you know, if you compare it to like my uh, mountain climbing people, they don't really come in here and run, so their heart rate's a lot lower. But they're breathing, they're working at very high altitudes. Right. Um, most of them will do a lot more sessions before they go on these trips. Um, but for an endurance athlete or somebody's training for a marathon or something like that, we may only work, you know, two days a week for 12 weeks out leading into the event or 
you know, three times a week for six weeks or something like that, you know, to get the most benefit out of it. So you're you're peaking at the right time for the race. You're using altitude as just as a component of your training so that you're ready to go once, you know, on the day of the race. You're, you're working up to that. What is the, um, what is the, the least you can do and still get a benefit? Does that make, I mean, so, because, I mean, if, if we were literally coming in here and doing every single workout in here every day, that would obviously be better than coming in here once every six weeks. But, but, yeah. but is, is there, is there an amount that it's just not worth the bother? I would say, you know, if you're, if you're a couple, if you're two or three weeks out from a, from an event, um, you're not really going to get a whole lot from coming in here and doing a hard workout because, you know, you should have most of the hay in the barn at that point anyway, mm -hmm. right? And fitness level is not going to really change much in those last few weeks, you know, as far as building more fitness. You, you can do the opposite and build more fatigue yeah. by doing something like this in a shorter amount of time, which is what you don't want to do. Um, uh, the, I would say that something more like we talked about earlier, which was the intermittent hypoxic exposure, Breathe, you know, breathing very high altitude air, just sitting, you know, doing intervals of that would be much more beneficial in a shorter amount of time than coming in here and trying to run, you know, with, with a couple weeks left, you know, before you go. But as far as like when you start to feel effects of it, I've, I've had a lot of people say that after about, you know, six, seven sessions, they start to notice a difference outside. Uh, maybe they're running up a hill and all of a sudden breathing's not as hard as it used to be going up that hill uh, or they feel like they have more energy or something like that you know so the, the effects start taking you know taking effect um, after about that amount of time but that's that's if that's if we're in a training block and we're actually utilizing it as part of the training but yeah getting that close to an event not a whole lot of benefit of trying to do that in fact I think it would be the opposite it would actually It'd worry out too much. It'd worry out too much, yeah. And the goal here is to be able to do it and recover from it, right? So that you can train the next, you know, another day and not miss right. two days right. afterwards kind of thing. So. All right, so on that note then, when it comes to recovery, mm -hmm. because like my watch, which tracks my recovery, even like training peaks where it that looks, it's going to look at like how fast I ran today and it's uh -huh. going to calculate that. Uh -huh. It's going to be like, George, you didn't work very hard today. You didn't really run all that fast. <laughs> Uh, relative to how fast you can run, right? Mm -hmm. um, because it's just going to look at the pace, and so, so, and so it's going to tell me I don't need very much recovery. Right. Um, do Do you need? So I obviously need more recovery than what Training Peaks is going to tell me that I need. But would it take me if I had done this same workout just at the tread on the treadmill at my house? Mm -hmm. And let's just even say the same effort level, so it would have been faster. Mm -hmm. is, am I, I going to recover more quickly from this one or less quickly? I would say uh, less quickly from this one, mm -hmm. yeah. Um, just because heart rate is probably going to be, you know, if you were tracking heart rate during this workout, it was mm -hmm. higher mm -hmm. than what you would have been at home, yeah. just because of from the altitude, right? right. Um, but, and that's one of the reasons why when we start altitude sessions with just an example like a runner, um, you know, they may be used to running you know, three minute intervals at, at VO2 max, you know, right. outside of here. Right. But in here, we'll start at about 30 seconds yeah. on 30 seconds off yeah. and build up from that. So that, you know, if I try to do 
six by three on the first day, it's going to wipe them out. You right. know, so we want to start low and work up to it. That's okay. that, yeah. So um, recovery is the you know the key to you know I guess if there's any magic pill to any of this, it's all about consistency. Yeah. And if you can train consistently, mm -hmm. you'll make progress. If you train so hard, you have to take three days off. Right. Then it defeats the purpose. So, for sure. Yeah. For sure. We don't want to do that. So. <laughs> no, definitely not. Yeah. Well, Chuck, we appreciate you, man, and thanks yeah. for letting us come in. My uh, my lungs are definitely kind of feeling it. <laughs> you know, the first time I ever came in here afterwards, I remember sitting, eating lunch afterwards, and I was like, my lungs kind of hurt. Um, and that's kind of the way I feel now, too. My, uh, my throat feels kind of dry, but I'm wondering if that's from the combination of the altitude and the basal metabolic rate test we just took and, uh, and the pollen. So it could be all of the above, right? Are you hungry at all? So... Probably, since yeah. I was fasting before the uh, before the, the things. One of the things I noticed for a lot of people that train here is they they they're very hungry afterwards. Interesting. Well. And 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 you know if you if you relate that to high altitude, um, the higher up, you, your your metabolism is working okay. faster. Yeah. So um, studies do show that training at altitude, your metabolism will burn longer after a workout versus not at altitude. Uh, making you know, up several hours longer than, than what it normally would be. So, okay. Yeah. Good to know. Very good. All right, Chuck. Appreciate you. You bet. Thanks again for joining us for another episode of the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, on Twitter at pleasantpodcast, on Instagram at Most Pleasant Exhaustion. We're available on Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Be sure to share us with your friends. We're brought to you by ITL Coaching and Performance, who you can find at itlcoaching.com. Their Twitter is at itlcoaching, and their Facebook group is facebook.com slash itlcoachingandperformance. You can find them on Instagram at itlcoaching. We're also proud to be sponsored by Elemental Altitude, Atlanta's best and only altitude training facility. You can find them at ElementalAltitude.com, on Instagram at ElementalAltitude, or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash ElementalAltitude. Blue Pineapple Travel can be found at BluePineappleTravel.com, on Facebook at Facebook.com slash BluePineappleTravel, or on Instagram at BluePineappleTravel. And finally, High Echelon. You can find High Echelon at HighEchelonCPA.com. On behalf of Michelle Frank, Patrick Ollinger, and Eric Hall, I'm George Darden. Thanks for listening to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast. We'll see you next time.